0: Let me have a Diablo sandwich of Dr. Pepper and make it fast. I'm in a goddamn hurry. You must be in a hell of a hurry, huh, Sheriff? Bet your ass on that boy. Oh, you've got a mess Let me, hmm? Let me help you out here. Get that off of there. That's a way of going i Who are you chasing? Somebody chasing you? Nobody chasing me, boy. I'm a chasing a goddamn maniac all the way from kind of Texas, Texas. Is really? a bank robber? Bank robber is a baby kid alongside of what this dude is doing. Uh, almost killed funny, lord, sir. Driving through people's backyards, knocking down mailboxes, got a broad in the car, took a course of the state line, got the man out. I don't think he's got a permission, and that's getting him. How's that behind this? C-C-C-Q Re-Re-Reboot Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast
1: Greetings Starfighters, this is Ruined Childhoods If you are looking for a podcast that celebrates cult and classic movies and theorizes how they could be given a contemporary spotlight this is the podcast for you Last week, we visited Florida on our road trip, cinematically visiting each of the U.S. states, and on this episode, we bopped up to the Peach State. This state is the birthplace of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Ty Cobb, and the sisters fanning Dakota and Elle. If you're in this state, you may see a brown thrasher soaring in the sky, or a white-tailed deer trotting in a meadow. Or perhaps you are smelling a Cherokee rose, named for the native tribe that inhabited this state before it became the starting point of the Trail of Tears. This state's nickname, Wisdom Justice Moderation, is hilariously appropriate, given the film we will be discussing since we are in Georgia telling the tale of street smarts, Sheriff Buford, T. Justice, and copious amounts of Coors beer.
0: Dan, have you ever had any notable run-ins with the law? Any notable run-ins with the law? I don't know how notable my run-ins with the law have been, but I don't, John, I have had run-ins with the law. Have you?
1: Uh, is that to say that there there have been but nothing that you're at liberty to
0: speak of? Oh no, no, I can I can talk about <laughs> it. I'll go into I I know I was just I, I quid pro quo. Uh, I figured uh, I'd I'd hear yours and then I'd launch into mine oh, and we'll see if you've got me beat.
1: I well I I actually haven't had very many. Uh, I will say, however, that you were present for one of my run-ins with the law. Uh, when you and I were driving from, uh, I guess Connecticut to Massachusetts together when I was in college, I, uh, was, you know, going a little fast on the open road, much like Bandit himself and, uh, Smokey pulled us over and I was like, oh, I am completely in the wrong. (laughs) Give me a ticket.
0: (laughs) Do you remember that? I, no, I am sure it happened because I'm guessing this happened in the spring of 2002 So, um, yeah, it's, I'm guessing 2002 is all a a haze for you or is it just that it was 21 years ago? It was that it was 21 years ago. And yeah, that was like right after I remember making that trip right after I got back from a long tour, like theater tour that had been extended and it wasn't necessarily like a pleasant theater tour. Like this was not, we were not in the most luxurious locations or... It was very... It it was a worthwhile experience, especially in hindsight. But I remember coming back from that and that was when I remember making that trip and uh, driving up to Boston with you. I believe that was uh, on that same trip the first time I I saw Donnie Darko, just to to loop in movies.
1: the The timing makes sense. I... I, I recall also seeing Donnie Darko. Uh actually in Massachusetts, I went to a Boston advanced screening of Donnie
0: Darko. Yeah, I did. this was a this was on DVD. Oh, okay. Did uh, when I, I, make I saw you it. Watch so it? yeah, I I was not I believe so. I <laughs> believe I mean, I don't think it made me watch it might be a little strong, but a highly recommended and Was I instrumental in your it.
1: screening of Donnie Darko? It would make yes, sense. Yes, you were. Yeah.
0: You were. You were not the first person to recommend it to me, but you were the person who showed it to me. And it was on that trip. And I think that I think that's the only time I ever visited you at all when you were in school in Connecticut. In Philly, I was down sure. all the time. Yeah. But I yes. just had one year I also, in Connecticut. I was I was also, yeah, on the road because my tour started in the beginning of September two thousand one.
1: Well, being on the road—that's what this
0: episode is all about, my friend. And, and you know what? In fact, John, my tour experience will come into our conversation because I did yeah. spend some time in Texarkana. I'm so. so I'm so glad that we'll get to talk about
1: Texarkana because I have no Texarkana
0: experience. Um, no, but, I actually, yeah. I, 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 I'm, I, I don't think I necessarily did like uh, Bandits Route. Exactly. But I definitely traveled that stretch that he travels that Georgia to like northeastern Texas. Well, I also imagine
1: that any of the roads that you would have gone on or any bridges, I should say, were completed for one. Yes. Yeah.
0: I I would at least imagine so. Spoiler alert. And then we'll come back to my run ins with the law, as notable as they are. I have never been in a vehicle that has jumped over an incomplete bridge, though I will say that as a child who grew up watching the Dukes of Hazzard. Mm. Uh, were you a Dukes There's of a-
1: Hazard watcher?
0: Yes. I mean, look, I, it, it meant absolutely nothing to me when I was, uh, you know, whatever, like eight that. You know they were driving around with a symbol of the Confederacy on their car, right. all that. So I just want to put that out there. I'm aware. So uh, I, I didn't, I didn't know that about it. But I remember watching Dukes of Aspen and It was like every episode they jumped their car over some type of gap and i was like that's the coolest thing and with toy cars <laughs> like always would do that like that's what you do with your toy cars right, right. you set up a ramp and you let them go sure. and you're like all right can it make it so but i did not have any run-ins with the law that necessitated a high speed high speed pursuit got to it. be clear no and I, although i was pulled over for speeding uh, on several occasions mm-hmm. i have definitely pulled over been pulled over for speeding in the state of New Jersey. Okay. I have been pulled over for speeding in Washington state. I was pulled over for speeding for speeding
1: in Washington as well. I uh, because there is a particular stretch in West Seattle where the speed limit is way lower than you think it should be.
0: Oh, there are several stretches in West Seattle that are like that. I yeah. It's there there's many and it's very frustrating and yep. yeah you really do need to to and sometimes it's like impossible there's like these downhill like steep downhill slopes and the speed limit is like 25 and it's like I need to like be pressing on my brake to be going right. to 25 like yeah. hard right now so I you know anyway we're not talking about that so run-ins with the law so there's been my 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 speeding uh mishaps Let's see. I got, I also got pulled over for, um, making a right on red where there was a no right on red. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite run in with the law. Was none of those. And it happened when I was a senior in college in September, September of 1998. It was just at the beginning of the semester. And my roommate, who I talked about on the Birdcage, Jamal, a.k.a. Chiffon. It was Jamal's birthday and we had a party and not, I mean, we lived in a house that was like among the, I I went to Rutgers University and was Mm -hmm. very much involved with Cabaret Theater, which is one of the student run theaters at Rutgers and the house where I lived for several years was kind of like passed through, you know, people who came through the theater company or it came through cabaret theater because you didn't have to be a theater major to do theater there and people people would stop in all the time it was that kind of place it was that kind There's of an house open door
1: you-, you knew that there was some sort of theatrics going on somebody being
0: a little over the top Yes, somebody. Yes, only one somebody. Of course, I can think of. This is not the episode for these stories, but I have so many <laughs> wonderful stories of the over-the-topness. Sure. So we were having a party for Jamal, and I don't think it was an. Un, I don't think it was an unusual volume. Also, mind you, like we lived in a house that was not necessarily like specifically. It was not campus housing. Yeah, but it was like a block from the main drag. It was clearly like. If you live on this block, you should expect that there are college students doing college student things. Got it. We were a block away from the student center, College Avenue. So we had this party and, you know, there were people out on the porch. There were it was it was great, great party. And a pair of bicycle cops came up and all due respect to law enforcement that. That, you know, rides bicycles. I don't not don't mean to use the term in a demeaning way, but to protect and serve the environment. Indeed. Yes. Spot on. Thank you. And they cited us for a noise violation and said that there had been a complaint, which we thought in hindsight was kind of bullshit. And that they were just doing this like at the beginning of the semester to like kind of lay down the law. Oh, set and a precedent. Set a precedent. Yeah. So, so we had a pair, the pair of bike cops uh, gave us, gave us the citation. So after that, we were like, okay, all right, let's bring like nobody else on, on the porch. You know, it's like, it's okay. Like if you want to sit out there and, and smoke your Marlboro Ultralight and sip your Ice House beer. Mm-hmm. I think we were already past Zima at that point. Yeah. Go go for it. Or just you sip your, your Coors Light, but no. It wasn't a lot of Coors Light at at those parties. I feel like I remember that type of beer. There's a lot of red stripe. Mm-hmm. And I remember this like honey brown ale. I forget exactly what it was called, but I remember right. that was like a big one. I can picture the bottle. it was like, yeah, yeah. It was an inexpensive, not shitty it, beer. It gave the impression of
1: being a classier beer.
0: Yes. But was yes. still we pretty were, cheap. We were a step up from your standard You're, You were party. a Sierra Nevada. You oh, know, that, that's the is, kind of world yeah, that you were in. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. I was on my way. I was that. I was on that. you on your way. Yeah. So. So we kind of we do that, and then. Then I'm told that, there, is another pair of, of bicycle officers, Ooh. law enforcement officers, eight wheels there. in total. Now. <laughs> I. I don't remember which time it was and this was long enough ago this was 19 this is over this is 25 years ago over 25 Mm. years ago so i feel comfortable sharing that i was indulging in a bit of the cannabis that evening and Mm. it, it came to a point where when the cops arrived we had to decide which one of the people who lived in the house was able to pull it together enough to talk to Got the cops it. and also ha- like talk to them reasonably and not make things worse. I don't know that it took much time for me to be chosen as tribute and, uh, you know, right, rightfully so. Cause I could also manage to kind of rein myself in when I was stoned. usually, Usually, at least at this time, I was I don't think I. Was at least that. as far
1: as as far as you can, uh, you know, believe about yourself, you know, maybe you and your friends thought so when you were, you know, 21. But in hindsight,
0: perhaps, <laughs> maybe it wasn't as, uh, uh, um, as, as
1: easy to, to fool people
0: yeah no i well it it certainly depends. there were definitely times when we we were fooling nobody but i i I think this time I also don't remember yeah I like was not far gone, so okay. talked to the cops, had another uh noise violation i we were like in like the same story like someone called, and we were like but some what we already got so now also right around this time. I think maybe earlier that week, which maybe makes me seem awful for for partying, our father had a triple bypass surgery. Oh, yes, yes, like yes. emergency surgery. It was that, like, it, it was right, I think it was, like, right around, it was that, that time. It was either, like, right before or right after, because I remember I didn't tell him about it. And... <sighs> So for those new to the podcast, John and I are brothers. Mm -hmm. Our father is an attorney. And so when there's legal issues, naturally, we talk to him about them. And you say we, I I have never had to do such a thing. Oh, have you never gone to court with dad? No, I have not. Oh, those are my like, (laughs) those were like, honestly, like bonding moments. Lovely, I I I know that sounds really it sounds weird, but he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I did not want to tell Dad, who was I believe in the hospital, mm-hmm. recovering, a noise violation. So silly, and I remember the court for this one was it was like off the side of Route One by out by New Brunswick. OK, like in the police station, it wasn't like we I mean, yeah, it's, I, I I've never been I, I've never been in front of a judge at like, you know, a, a major court like I've not right. been in front of like a Grisham judge. Like, no, the, it's it's never gotten to that point. It's never gotten that. Sweaty. But no, <laughs> that, so I think that pretty much encapsulates my you're running smoky. My run-ins with Smokey, my days as either behind the a wheel or handlebars. Your
1: run-ins with Smokey were uh, a little, a little tame. You know, Bandit had some assistance along the way. Shall we synopsize Smokey and the Bandit, nineteen seventy-seven, and get into it?
0: Let's do it. Let's hit the road.
1: Wealthy father-son duo Big and little Enos Burdett are planning a big party in Georgia and only want the finest of refreshments. Unfortunately, coveted Coors beer cannot be legally transported east of the Mississippi. Knowing that the wealthy are above the law, they pay a local trucker named Bandit to drive to Texarkana, Texas, fill his rig to the brim with cases of Coors, and drive back to Georgia all in 28 hours. Bandit, who is always down for a challenge, Enlists his pal Cletus Snow to drive the truck. Meanwhile, Bandit will drive a speedy Trans Am to distract the police from other highway activity. Just after loading the truck with beer, Bandit encounters a hitchhiking runaway bride named Carrie, who quickly becomes a fixture in his passenger seat. Carrie, a.k.a. Frog, is spunky, cute, and on board for Bandit's hijinks. Unfortunately for Bandit, the wedding Carrie ran away from was between her and the son of Texarkana's sheriff, Buford T. Justice, a relentless lawman who is as fiery as his son is dumb. With Buford and Junior on his tail, Bandit's journey back to Georgia becomes a series of of high-speed vehicular shenanigans. Now, Dan, on our episode, oh my God, uh, our Colorado episode, I cracked a can of Coors Light. And man, oh man, did I regret that because it was nasty. So I figured that on today's episode, I will crack my uh, can of uh, polar seltzer, but I put a little a little tag on it: "Illegal Coors beer." Oh yeah, illegal there it is. Coors beer. Illegal Coors beer. So uh, if if Buford T Justice walks through the door, I'm out of here. This podcast is over, man. That's-
0: Oh, yeah, oh, he'll get all steamed and, like, smoke will be coming out of the ears. Yeah, so... Which I imagine actually happens by the by the third one. I, I'm sure we'll get to the sequels, but...
1: I, I watched both of the sequels, and I, I wrote little synopses for each of them, which are both, I think, longer than the one for the first one. I probably should have just cooled it. But be that as it ah. may, <laughs> here we are. So, uh, Burt Reynolds is Bo, the bandit, Darville. Uh, Sally Field is uh Frog, Jerry Reed is Cletus the Snowman, Snow. Jackie Gleason is Smokey, uh, aka Sheriff Buford T. Justice, and uh, his son uh, Junior is played by Mike Henry. And then, as Big and Little Enos, we have Pat McCormick and Paul Williams, the uh, incredible yeah. Paul Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I love Paul Williams. I love that he you know. Well, probably around this time is when he wrote like the Rainbow Connection. You know, he was yeah. like a, an amazing yeah. songwriter and composer. And then he's like little Enos Burdett in all three of the Smokey and the Bandit movies.
0: Uh, the Paul Williams filmography is is just so many like random jumps.
1: Absolutely. And, and he's still acting. Like, he's still he's still around. He's amazing in Phantom of the Paradise. Uh You know, I don't know if we've talked about that much on on this podcast, but certainly, you know, an an amazing movie. Probably my favorite Brian De Palma movie.
0: We've definitely I know we've talked about it in the past. I don't think we've talked about it recently. Right. But yeah, so I probably uh, not not my favorite Brian De Palma movie, but it's one of his that I like remembering exists and that I like remembering is. Is one of his, I think it's one of his, I think for Brian De Palma, what I like about it in terms of Brian De Palma's filmography is it really stands out and it's a lot more, Brian De Palma's movies are fun, but Phantom of the Paradise, like I kind of wish that Brian De Palma took more like risks. Just got weird from time to time. Right, and Phantom of the Paradise really—I mean, Brian. De, look, no, Brian De Palma gets weird, yeah. but Phantom of the Paradise feels like it has a lot more voice and originality. Whereas other, other, and I know this is trite, but whereas other films of his feel like they are more pastiche. They're mm. taking from from other filmmakers, and sure. tribute, notably mm-hmm. Hitchcock, and um, yeah. Uh, was it was a Eisenstein, Eisenstein, the with the the staircase sequence in Untouchables. Oh, oh, of course, yeah, yeah. So anyway, Paul Williams is fantastic. Paul Williams is fantastic, and I just checked, and it
1: was the year before this that he did. He wrote the score and lyrics for Bugsy Malone. I uh, and uh, Rainbow Connection was seventy nine, so just shortly after this. So. Yeah. yeah, he's such an interesting guy, and I, I have so much respect for him. Uh, and I'm glad that he's still out there doing it. You know, I well, it's, he was in Baby Driver pretty recently. He's just still active. It's great. Wow. So, uh, Dan, I, I've i got some things that I wanted to, to discuss, but do you want me to talk about parts two and three first, or do you want to just uh, settle on the original for a little bit? Let's settle on the original for a little bit. Okay. So uh, this series, this movie, I mean, it's really just a series of, or it's just one extended car chase, really, with little, like, beats, little moments here and there where, you know, you just kind of get a moment to relax a little bit. You know, there's a little comedic moments, right. like when he's getting the burgers and stuff uh, and, and runs into Buford Justice, who doesn't know that he's the bandit. And, uh... uh So it's really just like excitement, 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 funny moment, funny moment, excitement, excitement, excitement. And it's really fun to watch. I mean, there's a reason why this is a classic. And, you know, the chemistry between Burt Reynolds and Sally Field is so strong. I mean, it makes perfect sense that the two of them were in this relationship, you know, from this time for for quite a while. And, you know, Sally Field is just so charismatic and... You know, you see her on screen and you're just like instantly like, yes, I am on board for this character, for this, whatever this is to become whatever it needs to be.
0: And it's just lovely. Dan, did you have fun watching it? I had. Oh, yeah, I had a lot of I, I'm i agreeing, uh, agreeing entirely with you. In fact, what, and I'm looking because I feel like like Sally Field at this point had already been established, yep. but I feel like this is where she's in, reinventing herself because Norma Ray is yep. what 79, I think, and like she wins the Oscar f- for Norma Ray. Uh, she's yeah, right. like, w- I'm trying to remember what she had done before Smokey and the Bandit. I'm just looking, looking her up. Well, she did right Gidget now. and the
1: Flying Nun, and uh, right, you know, she did a lot of like those, uh, you know, where she's.
0: You know, it's, it's, it's cute, but then, you you know, she did a lot of that. I feel like in the sick, like that was like the sixties. Yeah. So Uh, on film you have
1: uh, in 76 is stay hungry. Uh, 67 is the way West uh, with Kirk Douglas, Robert Mitchum. Um, The same year as smoking the bandit. We have heroes, which is another like road movie. I don't know. Dan, have you seen heroes? I watched it pretty recently.
0: No, I've never seen
1: Harrison Ford.
0: Yeah, it's Sky no. comes
1: back from the war, and um, uh, I don't remember the full details about it, but it's kind of like a it's a road movie, and and it's one of those early Harrison Ford roles where I mean this is the same year as Star Wars, and uh, you know it's just this fresh Harrison Ford who isn't the established actor that we all know, and he's playing kind of like a small right. role, and you know he's not feels so like, like the Br-
0: Brad Pitt. Feels like Brad Pitt and Thelma and Louise. Totally. Like that type of role. Exactly. Yeah. That
1: kind of thing. Exactly. And so, yeah, Sally Field, she, uh, what else was she doing in, in television aside from like Flying Nun and Gidget? She did Sybil. Yeah. She did. Uh, she was doing a lot of television yeah. work leading up to Smokey and the Bandit.
0: Right. Yeah. But it or feels TV like she's trying to, to establish... Like, she, but she's trying to establish her, herself and, uh, you know, as a more serious actress, yeah. which is, uh, you know, Smokey and the Bandit. It maybe looks like Smokey and the Bandit was more like the palate cleanser between doing Sybil, which I believe yeah. is about uh, schizophrenia,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Norma Ray, which have you ever seen Norma Rae? Uh It's been a
1: while. I actually I, I would like to watch that one again.
0: I mean, especially in light of, like, you know, recent union actions, bo- both Absolutely. in the entertainment industry. Uh, I've su- I in, saw it a while ago, and recently,
1: recently I've been seeing a lot of clips. And and I think that the yeah. clips have been mostly, fr- you know, coming out because of the recent, like, writers and actors strikes, which are now, you oh, know, yeah. in the in the rear view, as it were. Um, yes, uh, you were just uh, kind of alluding to this. And, and, Dan, you, as a Seattle teacher, you were involved with the strike last year. Is that right? I was indeed. Yes. Yeah. So the Portland public school system where I am and where my daughter goes to school uh, has been in a strike for the past two weeks. So it's, uh, yeah, it feels like lately there's been a lot of activity with, um, with, you know, unions forming and, and strikes being performed, which has been very effective. And it's like, yes, people need to get what they need to get.
0: That that's how it happens. Yeah, that's how that's, it happens. I mean, or that's it. That's that's not how it happens. That's how it sometimes has to happen.
1: That's how it has so, to happen. Unfortunately,
0: yeah. And that is what what Norma Ray understands all too well. That's a great movie. Norma Ray is an excellent movie. Highly recommend it. And Sally yeah. Field, uh, honestly, this is not the first time we have sung her praises. Notably, a soap dish. We love. I watched love, soap dish love... the other night just because I needed
1: more Sally Field.
0: You can watch Soaped at any time when it's always on the shortlist whenever I'm like, I need a chuckle. Yeah. I just need to giggle. Soap dish is always on the shortlist for that. And Sally Field is wonderful. And you know what I noticed is that there is a tr- there's a trend. And I I know it's in Soap Dish and it's in Smoky and the Bandit. And I because we've also talked about like the Sally Field things that she does. Sure. But some something she does in Smokey and the Bandit that she also does in Soap Dish is quote unquote start to smoke.
1: Oh <laughs> like, yes. Randomly, yes, yes. Like
0: <laughs> uh, obviously not being somebody who smokes or will be a smoker, but decides that this is a certain moment where they should smoke. And she does it in Soap Dish and and she does it in Smokey
1: and the Bandit. Now I want to watch all of her movies to see if it happens any other times because that would be so funny if that just like pops up regularly
0: that we're just not
1: picking up on.
0: I want to, I'm glad I have the behind the scenes edition of Mrs. Doubtfire because it might be an outtake. There might be an outtake it where Miranda. It could easily be it, an outtake. It would so fit. I could totally see Miranda, like start and and like Pierce Brosnan saying, "Miranda, when did you pick up smoking?" Like five minutes ago, exactly. I, so That <laughs> did not sound like Sally Field. I apologize. Right? No, no one is is claiming five that you ago, are five minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> she does, so, She kind of does the repeat thing too. She does a little bit. Yeah. It's that's her signature move. So it's I in also, its
1: early phases. Dan, I want to I want to talk a little bit now about Jackie Gleason, uh, because <laughs> holy cow, was he so much fun in this movie? Such a weirdo, uh, Jackie Gleason, who I mean, obviously there was you know his you know the honeymooners, and also I, I think the only other thing that I really saw him like actually really saw him in was like the Hustler, and. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much other Jackie Gleason work I've really seen, but seeing him as this character, which is so different from his role in The Hustler, is uh, is is just so much fun to watch. And something that I was thinking about, and I I looked this up, and and I'm not the first person to to make this claim, so I want to make sure that that's clear. But uh, the parallels between Smokey and the Bandit and the Fast and the Furious movies are pretty strong. You know, it's a lot of these anti heroes, these criminals who we're rooting for, and uh, the the cops that we're rooting against. And in, uh, in the Fast and the Furious movies, we eventually get Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I can't say just Dwayne Johnson, it's always going to be Dwayne the Rock Johnson. But we have Dwayne the Rock Johnson as the law enforcement official who is you know, on his tail. And of course things go back and forth over the course of several movies, but it's, it's funny to kind of look at the parallels between the way that he acts and the way that Jackie Gleason acts. And something that I didn't see in any, in anybody else's, uh, at least in, in text, uh, you know, writings about any parallels between the two, I guess, franchises is the use of the word, and I say that in quotes, some bitch, because I believe that Jack, <laughs> that Jackie Gleason was uh, instructed to use this word, some bitch, because it was like Burt Reynolds' father used it, and he thought that it was funny, and it became part of his character to always just be like, I'm going to get that some bitch. And mm-hmm. in the Fast and the Furious movies, Dwayne, The Rock Johnson... His character, like his big line, is some bitch to the point that, in uh, and this is a spoiler for Fast X, but when he comes in at the very end, it's I don't remember if it's like an after or mid credit sequence or just at the end, but his <laughs> character shows up after an absence where you know he and uh, Vin Diesel have had a falling out, and so it's like he's not going to be part of the thing anymore. Anyway, so he shows up and I see him and I'm just like. All right, he's gonna say "some bitch" in five, four, three, and he'll of course he says it. It's like one of the two words he says, and uh, I I have to wonder if he got that from Buford T. Justice. If it was that just like makes uh, sense acknowledging, like, okay, that's the role I'm, I play in these movies, so I'm gonna pick up on some of his characteristics and
0: that you know well, key it, phrase, key it word. Makes, it makes perfect sense. These are. These are movies about car chases and yeah. fast cars, and law enforcement pursuing, like you said, charismatic criminals. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, well, like in the yeah, in the, the first
1: Fast and the Furious movie, they're stealing DVD players. Like it's as <laughs> you know, it's as banal as Coors beer. You know, it, it's right. It's something that now it, we look at, and we're just like. Oh, you want a DVD player? Go to any Goodwill and you'll find 20 of them for $5. And like Coors beer? Or if you really want to drink that, go to 7-Eleven. Get
0: 20 of those for $5.
1: Exactly. So, it, it is kind of funny to see how uh time has treated
0: those objects <laughs> in our eyes. But, that's really you know. Yeah, that's that's really funny and it's it it makes me think that at the end, I feel like we should have like Burt Reynolds, Sally Field, and Jerry Reed and and his family and all of them sitting out there with Coors Lights toasting to family. <laughs> <laughs> Coronors. Corona and yeah.
1: Coors mixed together. Oh, co- or not just Coor-rona. Coors-rona. So yeah, let's talk about Jerry Reed for a second. Uh, you know, country singer Jerry Reed, who plays the snowman. Uh, what'd you think of Jerry Reed?
0: Jerry, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do I think of Jerry Reed in general or what do you think of character. him in the, in the, in the movie? What do I think of him in the movie? I, he's fun. He's fine. He's fun. He's fine. Like, I, Does he, I like the whole, like him and the dog. That's fun. I like the scene when, I like the scene when he like, you know, starts the bar fight that he's obviously going to lose. Yeah. So I guess like I'm rooting for, like, I don't, I I guess for me, I associate Jerry Reed with the water boy where he is the evil coach and I think I feel like the other associations I have with Jerry Reed are like they're not as as positive. I can't exactly explain why. So, I'm I'm a little lukewarm on on Jerry Reed, but yeah, he's, I, fine. he's fine. He's fine in this. He's what, fine. I I, I, yeah, I, my
1: my impression because I know that he was originally supposed to just play bandit. Uh, And I feel like Hal Needham, he and Hal Needham must have been pretty close buds. And that's kind of probably why he's in the movie in the first place. Um, I don't Uh know how much acting he had done before this. I mean, clearly he's done a lot since this. Semi-tough? I feel like it was semi-tough before that. I, let me look up me his filmography. Yeah, he hasn't done too much. So, well, he was in Gator. So he's been with um, uh, with Bert before. Uh, Bert. He a uh, WW in the Dixie Dance Kings. Uh, he was in an oh, episode yeah. of the new Scooby Doo movies and Nashville '99, and that's what he has done before. What he had done before Smokey and the Bandit, uh, and then went on to do Highball and Alice. Um, or an episode of Alice, I should say, the movie Hot Stuff, then Smoking the Bandit 2, and another episode of Alice, and uh Survivor, Smoking the Bandit 3. Yeah, so not a ton of stuff until I mean, you know, he was here and there in like episodes of TV shows until really The Water Boy, which was his last movie.
0: I, to me, my my impression was always that Jerry Reed was a like a, a singer first and foremost, and yeah. did movies when it was like fun.
1: Him, yeah. maybe. Uh, yeah. Sure. I mean, singer first and foremost, that's for sure. I mean, he he wrote and performed the, you know, the song Eastbound and Down for the movie, which, of course, uh, you know, was the inspiration for the name of the HBO series with Danny McBride, yep. which I watched yep. recently. And oh, my God. It's so it's so good. It's
0: so good. I love it. Uh, I need to go back and rewatch it. I I, I didn't, I didn't love it the first time I watched it, it, but then when I watched
1: it more recently, I was like,
0: I get it. It's so good. Right. I feel like coming off the heels of, of really kind of binging Righteous Gemstones. Well, that was the thing. I was
1: just like, okay, I just need more yeah. Danny McBride in my life right now. And then watching well, Vice Principals with Walton Goggins and... Ugh. It's so let, good. Let, let's come back. Let, let's. We will come back to, we're that. Gonna we come back. Back to that.
0: We're so, going to come back. We're going to come back. We're going to come back to, yeah,
1: come back to that. So uh, I'm just going to quickly tell you what Smokey and the Bandits 2 and 3
0: were about. Because you haven't seen those, right? I, I haven't. But, you know, before we if, if we're going to move on. From Smoky and the Bandit. Oh, we're not I moving on just, from it, but I just wanted oh. to
1: kind of get these out of the way to kind of give more context. Oh. Because Smokey oh, do, and the does Bandit does 3 provide... Well, I'm just just because Smokey and the Bandit. Smoky is the bandit. <laughs> well we we'll get to that. We'll get to that. All right, Isn't
0: so that from Bill and Ted's We'll Bogus get journey? we'll get
1: to that. We'll get to <laughs> okay. that. We'll get to that. Okay. So Smokey Got and it. the Bandit uh part two. All right, here's my little synopsis. On his quest to become the next governor of Texas, Big Enos Burdett finds out that the outgoing governor has arranged for a special package in Miami to be delivered to the RNC in Dallas, Texas. Big and Little Enos call upon Bandit to get the gang back together for one more high-speed delivery. Having fallen on hard times, Bandit has become a no-good drunk, so so Cletus does his best to bring Bandit back to his best self. Cletus also calls upon Carrie, who had since fallen out with Bandit and gotten back together with Junior. Carrying Cletus resurrect bandit, and they make their way to Miami, knowing only the package number, and that they are uh, and they are surprised when they find that the delivery is actually a live elephant. Again, with Justice and Junior on their tails, the gang navigates uh, the road to Dallas. Law enforcement's be damned. And and that one, we get Dom Deluise. Dom Deluise okay. plays a. Uh, a veterinarian that they pick up along the way to kind of just be there for the elephant who they find out is um, uh, pregnant. I knew it. Yeah, so they find out she's pregnant. And, uh, of course, then you get a lot of that classic Dom DeLuise, uh, you know, Burt Reynolds charisma that we all know and love. And so uh, that's a, 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 you know... A fun element to what is otherwise just a really whack movie and you know you get sally field back and she's clearly not having a great time making the movie but <laughs> uh you know what it, it is what it is and um then we move on to Smokey and the bandit three so in this one the enuses are opening a restaurant in texas and figure that they would have a little fun before its grand opening event they bet Sheriff Justice that he and Junior can't transport an ornamental fish from Florida to Texas. That's right. I'm, they are betting B, uh, Buford T. Justice about this. It's not they're not going to the bandit. They're just trying to have some fun. And so uh, fresh off of an unsuccessful retirement. Justice has a hard time saying no to a bit of excitement and a challenge. Also, part of the bet is that if he loses, little Enos gets to turn his badge into a belt buckle. In an effort to make things more interesting, the Enuses hire Cletus to get in his way. Cletus is granted permission to go by the call sign Bandit, and with the two and with the help of a runaway car dealership employee, Colleen Camp, the two zip through the highways and byways of the South, decorative fish in tow. It is just complete nonsense, but it's just like okay, we can get Jackie Gleason to do one more. He's gonna absolutely go wild and. And then yes, the the movie was originally called Smoky is the Bandit, but it's not called that. They uh no. they they renamed it because they got Jerry Reed to uh you know come come back as Cletus, and they actually re-edited a lot of it to make it seem like a lot of the stuff that uh Justice is doing is actually Cletus. It's really weird. It's really, really strange. Wow. Um, yeah. It's it's not a really fun watch the way that the first one is, and um, yeah, it, it definitely loses its luster. But you get how's, more more
0: Enos action. <laughs> how's uh how, How's the second one to watch? Is that one like at least fun?
1: Eh. Yeah. yeah. I mean.
0: You can find the. Fun it feels in it. like a real, it feels like a real major league, major league two, major league three dip. I think, I think so. Yeah, I uh, like major it, league two. That's what I would say. Like you could find something fun in it,
1: right? So the reason why I wanted to talk about uh, Smokey and the Bandit three is because Jerry Reed is the focal point of it, and he just cannot carry a movie. He is, he does not have the charisma and. Uh, so much of it feels just like he's trying to be Burt Reynolds, but he'll never be Burt Reynolds. And that makes it a little hard to watch. And I think that what made Jerry Reed work and be fine in the other movies was the fact that he wasn't the focal point. You know, he was the person that helps him get on his way and helps things happen. But otherwise it just
0: doesn't, it doesn't really work. Jerry Reed, a fine sidekick, but like, and and that's that's a good thing. Like, we need good sidekicks. Like, we need sidekicks good sidekicks. Are important characters, absolutely. Sidekicks are important characters, and it's okay to not. You know, we can't all be Burt Reynolds. That's why Burt Reynolds make made the Burt Reynolds money. I know because no nobody else could be Burt Reynolds. He was good. Not at even it. Tom Selleck, and and that's probably the he closest tried. He tried. I've, I've seen. Yeah. But nope, can't be can't be Burt Reynolds unless you're Burt Reynolds and and nope. nope, nobody's Burt Reynolds. Yeah. So
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't know, you you wanted to talk a little bit more about the the original. I'd love to know what you thought just about I guess the plot of it. It almost seems kind of shoehorned in where it's like I I know that it was it was based on, you know, a real thing where you know, you couldn't yeah. transport the Coors beer past a certain past a certain point. Uh, I believe that it was like the pasteurization process or something like that, where it needed to be constantly refrigerated, and they couldn't really do that at the time. Um, so I don't know. I I do like oh. the I do like movies that are kind of take like ripped from the headlines, kind of. So I appreciate yeah. that it was like inspired by a, a, an actual thing.
0: Right, it's the plot is there, it's like, right, that part is kind of shoehorned in, and it's it's not just like, all right, what would make sense with what we want to do with this movie, but also what would make sense for the audience that we want for this movie. So I think just the idea, I like, mm-hmm. if you're making a, a movie like this, of this genre, a car chase movie, kind of like a, a more silly comedy. yeah. And, you know, you're, you're not necessarily aiming this like, you know, this is not, uh, um, you know, a Patty Chayefsky script here. So, you know, you got, all right, well, tr- a truck full of Coors beer, getting that, uh, you know, transporting that across state lines and dodging cops at like CB radio, especially in the 1970s. Yeah, that was Communicating fun. by CB radio. Yeah, I remember we had a CB radio. Yeah, I don't remember ever using it. We had a CB... All right, so we had a CB radio when when our father was working for the prosecutor's office in Union County, New Jersey... He had a CB in his car and yeah, I'm sure it was used. I don't necessarily remember. We certainly never used it to like warn bandit that there was a roadblock coming up on, on route one and nine.
1: I did like, I did like how the CB was utilized to really bring together all of the kind of like, I
0: don't know the, the trucking
1: community, I guess just the the community community. Yeah.
0: That was a cool part of it. Well, And what I, I love The part with the funeral, I think, was my favorite example of, of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, but also that device was used both ways because the cops had that trucker radio. Yeah. uh Yeah. So I th- I thought it was used really cleverly in that. And I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention how the movie does, you know, address race. Because... Let's... It, it certainly does, and uh but we're we're definitely on on the right side here because buford t justice is just exposed as a, just kind of like a a blithering racist misogynist, and especially when he is he's been in communication with the you know chief of police in this one town yeah. and or sheriff in this one town. And he—they've only been communicating over radio, so Justice doesn't know that he's black. And then when they end up in a whole pileup, I think this is the bridge—the bridge scene after after Bandit jumps the bridge, and the the sheriff is is you know getting out of his car. Buford D. Justice pulls up and addresses him as boy.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. So because he is the villain to have that villain be, you know, racially insensitive, uh at the very least, it totally works. And because in uh, the third movie, Justice is not as much of the bad guy. We're not like really rooting for him, but he's presented in that kind of way. They do make an effort to make him seem less racist. There is a scene where there is a truck of these black guys and they are being chased and harassed by a group of Klansmen. Like, oh, yeah, it's wild. And, uh, you know, justice after that all resolves itself, you know, makes some sort of comment to just be like, yes, the KKK is bad. <laughs> okay. So they right. they, they, they right. almost try to like be like, OK, so what do we know about this guy is, uh, you know, he's been a little racist before. So people aren't going to root for him now, huh? So he's got to do something right. to
0: to kind of flip things around a little bit. He's he's learned in the past few years. It's it's a character arc. It's it's development. Sure, yeah, yes. It makes it makes him a dynamic character. Yeah, <laughs> but I, one of the but also one of the things I like about this movie, and especially watching it from the the twenty twenty three perspective, where we think of things of so many so many things, especially being from the northeast living in the Pacific Northwest, two very uh, liberal progressive places. And, you know, we think of this, you know, kind of like division between, you know, the quote unquote coastal elites and, Mm -hmm. you know, the Rust Belt, Bible Belt, et cetera. I, what I like about, about this movie is I think it more kind of, it is I don't want to say celebrate, like celebrates that, that the kind of like energy and the vibe of, of the South, like in the more positive sense, but it's very, it's smarter than you think. And I wrote down, there's one, one quote that I had to, uh, I had to write it down because I thought I was like, you know, this is uh, like this might not always apply. I'm like, this is the type of thing that someone could really misuse. But it's when when he's talking to Sally Field and, you know, she's what New Yorker. And she definitely yeah. has that like coastal elite uh, at adi- kind of attitude that I'm exaggerating a bit. But when he says when you tell somebody something, it depends on what part of the United States you're standing in as to just how dumb you are. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, I was like, that's a really, I was like, that's a really, like, kind of insightful comment. And it's really interesting. And it was something that, it was like some, a a deeper meaning that I wasn't really expecting. Because it's been a while since I'd seen this movie before. Sure, yeah. And at that moment, it was, it was like, okay, like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like, I'm glad that that line is in there. Yeah, definitely. So, Yeah, that's that's pretty much like that's that's the meaning that, uh, you know, taken out of it is that, you know, Smokey and the Bandit is it's a fun movie. It does have a good amount of heart and Mm -hmm. it is, um, you know, maybe got a little bit a few more brain cells than one might expect.
1: Yeah. And it's definitely a movie of its time. And uh, oh, yes. And that needs to be considered while watching it. But you know, go in, get into it, have fun.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. There's de- there's a lot of elements that make no mistake. It's 1977,
1: right? Yeah, absolutely. And so, why don't we kind of take things into the future a little bit? You know, we talked about the sequels. That's you know, that's what it is. And so, yeah, uh, in '94, uh, there was a series of four made-for-TV spin-off films called bandit goes country bandit bandit beauty and the bandit and bandit silver age. And, uh, that had Brian bloom playing a younger version of the bandit. So a prequel series and, uh, okay. th- the three original films introduced two generations of the, this is from Wikipedia, Pontiac, Trans Am and the Dodge stealth in the television movies. Oh, in 2016, there was a documentary called the bandit about the making of Smokey and the bandit. Uh, I, 2020 is where things, well, actually, no, 2017, I should mention, um, Burt Reynolds was asked about his thoughts. This is from Screen Rant. Uh, He was asked about his thoughts on a Smokey and the Bandit recasting, and uh, uh, he gave George Clooney his blessing. To to potentially be a bandit, which is interesting, he said. Uh, that said, he act he also doubted the star would actually do it. And while Clooney has started lighter fare such as Ocean's Eleven, he tends to focus on more dramatic material these days. I don't know; he would still do it. Uh, twenty twenty, some interesting things happened. Uh, there is a, um, a you know a, a um, smoking the bandit TV series planned that was in development uh, by David Gordon Green. You know, t- with Jody Hill, Danny McBride, Brandon James, Seth MacFarlane. Uh, and so that's where we get our uh, our Eastbound and Down connection.
0: So uh, also, yeah. in
1: 20- also in 2020, it was announced that Peyton Reed was going to direct a movie called Eastbound and Down, which was billed as a loose remake of Smokey and the Bandit that would star Owen Wilson. Um, but that kind of fizzled out. And then Peyton Reed did Down with Love. But, yeah, you know, mm. there's been interest in doing other things. And, uh, Dan, I'd be curious to know, given the opportunity, what would you do?
0: I'm going to go the expected route here. And as previously alluded to, I would love to see a Danny McBride, Jody Hill remake of Smokey and the Bandit set in 1977. Okay. not Not exactly like a shot for shot, word for word remake. I would... Remove some of the more problematic uh, content, like Buford T. Justice being super racist. Mm -hmm. It's just not necessary. Doesn't like his character doesn't need that. His character's like an asshole already. Oh yeah. So he's talking about
1: going home and you know uh, assaulting his wife.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. No. He's 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 terrible. So I I would. Actually, and it's funny because you could you could look at the cast of the Righteous Gemstones and cast it. Not that I would do that, though, for certain people, like it's almost like I would love to see Walton Goggins as Cletus. Walton Goggins would be an amazing Cletus.
1: And if Walton Goggins was Cletus, then I would uh, want him to have more screen time. And uh, yeah, I just love to see what he would do with that.
0: Yeah. Playing off of a Basset
1: Hound. Are you kidding me?
0: Oh, brilliant, brilliant! I would actually cast Danny McBride as Buford T. Justice. Beautiful, love it. And I was thinking about different possible bandits because a lot of the choices that I thought of, I began to think like, well, they're they're probably too old uh-huh. now. Like like George Clooney, yeah, too old for the bandit now. I thought about Alden Ehrenreich, and then I immediately thought about Han Solo, yeah. and thought, well, that's very very similar. Paul Rudd would work totally fine as Bandit. I'm totally. sure there are there are others that, and Paul Rudd. And I guess for for Frog, Aubrey Plaza was the first person that thought to my mind that or that came to my mind because like if we're gonna remake it, let's cast somebody who's not gonna do Sally Field, but who's gonna like who definitely can do their thing, right? And is going to be like a really strong character, and I, I don't know. Aubrey Plaza doesn't seem to really do anything not strong, right? So, Absolutely. I would go to that. Now, what's what's interesting? I I was curious. I thought about it even before I watched the movie. I thought I was. This is what. This is how I would want to see it. Mm-hmm. I did ask Chat GPT because I was curious. I was like, I was like, if I ask artificial intelligence, will they, Mm. is it, is it that obvious the answer that artificial intelligence will say the same thing? Now, one of the casting, one of the casting choices that I considered, actually a couple of them came up in the Chat GPT, which is, this is what it had to say. Casting for a remake of Smokey and the Bandit would depend on the director's vision, but some modern actors who could potentially fit the roles include Chris Pratt as Bandit, John Cena as Buford T. Justice, and Zac Efron as Snowman. However, casting choices often evolved to create a fresh take on casting on classic films. I thought about Pratt for about a second Mm -hmm. and just thought there's other... uh, There's... There are other actors who have more... Like, Paul Rudd has more of the qualities of that character, if I'm picking between those two. If
1: I'm picking between Um, those two, yes. Also, it's... And maybe I'm in the minority on this, but, like, I'm done looking at Chris Pratt.
0: Well, yes. uh, I'm... Okay, I'm there, too. I was trying to be objective, uh subjectively, yes, I'm yeah I I'm I'm over Chris Pratt. and I also what what was funny is I thought about John Cena, but not for Buford T. Justice. And the reason why I actually think that's a poor choice is Buford T Justice should only be intimidating because he's loud yeah. and has a badge right and like like the one of the things I like about that scene with the burgers is how he just gets that sloppy sandwich and just like just shoves it and you're just like oh that's just like between the way he eats and his like anger like mm-hmm. his heart's just gonna explode oh, absolutely so I I I actually I felt like this is why we don't this is why we should not empower AI too much because John Cena's Buford T. Justice would be a, a poor choice. Yeah. I, I enjoy John Cena in, in movies, but I, d- I don't think this is a movie for somebody who's jacked. Like, no. sorry. No, no. And and I mean, and that's not the reason why I wouldn't cast Zac Efron in this. But again, it, it it's just not not a great fit. And that's why, like, even for Bandit, I wouldn't go with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go with John Cena. Yeah. I would want to go with somebody who like has that physicality, somebody who looks like they're they're going to be comfortable sitting in a car for long periods totally. of time, yeah. especially a small sports car. And if you're can like six, five and jacked, sitting in a smor- small sports car is not going to be comfortable. There's a reason why they all drive SUVs. Exactly. They can fit in them. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So, John, what would you do?
1: Okay, so mine would be a sequel, and uh, I'll just—I I wrote it all out, so I'm just going to read it to you. It's 1996, and Little Enos is running for president as a fourth party candidate. His affiliation <laughs> is with the Party Party, and their major platforms are pro-drinking, pro-driving fast, and anti-police. In an effort to make Clinton, Dole, and Perot look like fools at the final debate. Little Enos needs to find someone to transport three packages, one for each candidate, to the debate that will force them all into giant gaffes. For Bill Clinton, it's a joint in Little Rock with his DNA on it. For Dole, it's a scandalous photo of him with the drag queen at the end of the birdcage who says that he's gorgeous at the wedding, which is in Miami. And for <laughs> Perot, who is literally from Texarkana, and Dan, we'll get back to the fact that you've been there, it's a video of him purchasing guns illegally which Ross Perot was, you know, very much against, uh, you know, uh, weapons. Uh, I think mostly yeah. like assault weapons stuff. Um, he calls upon his full time fixer, Bandit, to retrieve the objects and bring them to the debate in San Diego. Naturally, he picks up a hitchhiker who is on the run from something very 90s. Uh, maybe it is. Is it O.J.? Uh, no. <laughs> you said
0: on the run in very 90s well I was gonna
1: say like maybe uh, it's like the um, maybe running from the marriage to the heir of the Koosh Ball uh, fortune or something like that but anyway so he starts the trip by like by wronging the wrong cop Samuel L. Justice and who is a cop on the verge of getting canned who is set on catching bandits so he can save his own job along for the ride is his daughter since it's take your kid to work day so I felt like Okay. I think that the obvious Samuel L. Justice would be Samuel L. Jackson, but I kind of just like the name Samuel L. Justice, uh, but maybe put it in somebody very different. uh, Like, I I was thinking like Russell Crowe, who uh,
0: I think is, Ah, I think Russell Crowe as a
1: justice, uh, you
0: know, would be great. Yeah. Great casting. I would love to. Oh, man. Talk about a reunion. Russell Crowe's for T. Justice and Ryan Gosling as Bandit. Well, I know that Ryan Gosling has done. Yeah. That's not where I was going because this is a sequel.
1: And, you know, while I was watching Smokey and the Bandit, do you know who uh, Burt Reynolds really reminded me of, especially like in his face? Pedro Pascal.
0: Oh, so I say you kind of
1: age up Pedro Pascal um and you know we have we've look historically speaking in film we have so many white people playing not white characters let's have a not white person playing a white
0: character i that should not even no pay all you need to know is that pedro pascal can i also has the right physical he has has the right he looks so much like him and has uh, the right like sense of humor, the right demeanor. the charisma. Absolutely, totally see it. Yeah, totally. See I knew it. I wouldn't have yeah. to convince you. No, well, <laughs> I'm sorry if if you need any convincing that like go watch some of his work, and then if you still have a problem, well, t- 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 fuck you. Watch
1: right. the the unbearable weight of massive talent, and you can just yes. see like he yes. he can do comedy. We know he can do drama. We know he can do action. He can do he can do it all. He's
0: great. His SNL, his SNL hosting episode was fantastic, but yes, unbearable. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's just a fun movie. Yeah, and and
1: maybe we just get Paul Williams back to do Little Enos and age him down so that he's 90s appropriate. I I mean, is Paul Williams age?
0: (laughs) You know, maybe a little bit, tiny little bit. I feel like Paul Williams is one of those people who doesn't age in a linear sense. Like they get older and then like Willem Dafoe, Mm -hmm. who I feel like was in his 60s in the aughts, but now is in his late 40s. He's doing great. I don't know what's, I don't know what's like Willem Dafoe is just defies all, all laws.
1: Well, Dan, if you told me, if you came up to me and said, I just heard the craziest thing, guess which actor literally became friends with Satan and has like a deal to like, you know, age in reverse and all stuff. And I'd be like, I don't know, Willem Dafoe. Like he looks like the kind of guy who'd be friends with a demon and it'd be like, fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He would just know how to communicate with a demon. Not that it would be that Willem Dafoe wouldn't necessarily have to be evil to be friendly with the demon. He would just, they would would just understand. There would be deep into his, there would be an understanding. That's right. Oh, demons don't have
1: souls. Sorry, I forgot. Well, they have a lot, just not like inside of them. They just possess them.
0: Right. No, they possess souls, but not within yeah. their bodies. Yeah. So, whereas Willem Dafoe possesses the souls of millions. <laughs> That's true. Within his his singular body.
1: So, Dan, uh, you, you had mentioned having been to Texarkana, Texas. I didn't want to, uh, you know, finish the episode without talking about that a little bit. Do you remember anything about uh, it?
0: I I remember it, you know, it, it very flat and yeah. I mean, it's not that. Remark. Honestly, like actually, the movie that we've talked about that that I would say reminds me more of that area is Mud.
1: Mm. Well, so, yeah, because like, it's on the
0: Arkansas border, right? And like this, especially like the scenes outside the Walmart in in mud. Oh, like, you mean the Piggly Wiggly. The- the Piggly Wiggly, yeah. right, right. Were they never outside of Womp? Nope, it, it was a right. Piggly right. Wiggly the whole time. Pig, right, a Piggly Wiggly. But that's kind of, that's basically what it was. Okay. And it's just, it's kind of, you know, flatland. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I, you do wonder, you think about like, all right, well, this is some of the area that was hit the hardest by the Great Depression. And you think, well, uh, how much did both the great depression and also th- the combination of that and like the drought, the yeah, dust bowl. Sure. How much of that has had ripple effects that ha- like are still impacting those areas, which are, are less affluent and more like people are more like kind of, you know, just getting by. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh... You know, I've never been to
1: Texarkana. My experiences in Texas have been pretty limited to the Austin area or like the Houston airport. Um, Shout out the Bush, George Bush. I think that's his his airport. Is that his airport? (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much the extent of my knowledge. I did uh, find it very fascinating, though, while I was researching my... um, you know, my idea for a sequel that, that Ross Perot was actually from Texarkana, which is not why I started thinking along those lines, but it was kind of just like a, a happy, not accident, but just like a, just a happy discovery. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that for, for me, I was just like, okay, what would be a fun thing to do? Like, you know, a, a 20 or 30 years later thing. I was like, what's a fun event? Because I didn't want it to get too far into the future where there's cell phones and like texting or anything right. like that. Like you still want it to that be, everything. you know, 96, yes, they existed, but nobody had them. And, um, right. and and I felt like the the 96 election was like such a big thing that you could do so much with it. And because we know that the the Burdettes had, you know, some political aspirations that uh, it would be, you know, expected to see them kind of following along that path.
0: Well, and it's also – it's very much in keeping, I guess, with this franchise that it would be – that that that's where things would go. Totally. Uh, also, just interesting side note, um, happens to be the first election I ever voted in, the ninety six presidential Didn't election. you say that on, like, the last episode? I may very well have done <laughs> that, yes. So once again, in case you were wondering, so I could have voted for Little Enos.
1: Uh, yeah, that would have been definitely an uncharacteristic vote for you.
0: But oh, be that as uh, it may, absolute. Yeah, uh, uh, no, I probably still would have would have voted for Clinton.
1: Little Enos also would have just you know bought his way to that point in the election. There would have been no earning votes. It would have all been, you know, fraud. Once so you're saying he would have won. Once an Enos, always an Enos. So Dan, uh what, what what are we doing on our next episode? We're we're traveling away from Georgia.
0: Oh yeah, no, the, we're this is uh we've got a long flight here ahead of us because we're going from Georgia to Blue Hawaii. Yeah, yeah we're revis- we're going back to Elvis. We're talking about yeah. Blue Hawaii and i i forget what year it's 61 it, uh the 61 thank you i was i was like 63 so yeah we're going to see it. it's elvis presley and angela lansbury and i would name other actors but i don't know their names off the top of my head so it, it's elvis and angela and blue hawaii
1: yeah i uh, i i'm so excited to talk about blue hawaii uh, some of the other actors in that Joan Blackman is, is in that one as well. I, I just wanted to shout out
0: Joan Blackman. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah. No, I'm just unprepared to, to name yeah, anyone in the cast. All, all good. Or Land. Yeah. We, we've, I'm not even going to pretend. Yeah. We, we've pretend.
1: covered all this before on our love me tender episode. Uh, and, and this is,
0: I'm so glad that we did by the way. Me so too. Glad. So yes. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking about this. And everybody, if you're listening, if you're listening, you're listening because you're hearing us. Uh, please email us ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Uh, check out the the description of this episode for our link tree. We've got a lot of really cool stuff on our merch site and uh, lots of great holiday gifts as we're starting to get into that season. If you're listening to this when it comes out, which is uh, in November. So yeah, I. Yeah, uh, Dan, all I have to say to you is as you are smuggling that cores over state lines, I wish you a good journey.
0: Good journey.